Welcome to the Travel Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bowman, the executive editor of TravelPulse.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Palladium Hotel Group. Grand Palladia Jamaica Resort and Spa stands as a luxurious haven nestled on the captivating northern coast of Jamaica. The recent refurbishment includes the 537 recently renovated suites, 48 of which include a private pool and terrace, an ideal ambiance for relaxation. The Infinity Saloon Bar, the focal point of Grand Palladium Jamaica Resort and Spa, was also redesigned. This bar offers breathtaking 180-degree views of the Caribbean Sea and hosts live music and entertaining shows. What's up, everyone? Today is Tuesday, October 24th. Happy Travel Tuesday. We got a great show for you today. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. I had a great time traveling over the weekend, and uh, man, the crowds are not slowing down. I'm sure you've seen that, too, if you've been out and about. I was in Las Vegas, had a wonderful time. A lot of great food out there, a lot of great big thrills, too. So what's your favorite thing to do in Las Vegas? I'd love to know. You can contact me. Podcast at TravelPulse.com is the email, or you can reach out to our hotline show. Number is 201 301- 381-3017 is the Travel Pulse podcast number. And now joining me on the show is Ashley D'Aristotle, owner of Flyway Travel. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Hi, Eric. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, so I've been a travel advisor um, for about two years now, primarily specializing in European um, FIT travel um, and customized itineraries. I also do a little bit of cruising and resorts, um, but primary interest and uh, focus is European travel. Excellent. Yes, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about Europe in the news section in a bit. But today's theme of the show is on dark tourism and the scene there and spooky season and beyond. So we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about that later in the show. But first, as we do for every episode, in case this is your first time listening to the show, we're going to dive into what's been trending in the world of travel in the last week. And we begin with the U.S. State Department issuing a worldwide caution last week for Americans traveling abroad as tensions continue to rise in the Middle East amid the war between Israel and Hamas. The worldwide caution comes on the heels of elevated travel advisories for Israel, Gaza, and the West Bank and Lebanon, where fighting continues following Hamas's surprise attack on Israel on October 7th. The State Department advises Americans abroad to stay alert in locations frequented by tourists, also to enroll in the Smart Travel or Enrollment Plan or Program to receive information and alerts that make it easier to be located in the event of an emergency overseas and follow the State Department on Facebook and Twitter. So Ashley, as an advisor, your thoughts on this? Have any clients been expressing concerns about international travel as of late, given this new stuff? Yeah, I've had clients that have, have reached out, you know, is it still safe to go? Is it still safe to, to have my trip? Um, and I'm advising them exactly what you just said and enroll with the step department. I'm sorry, the state department step program, um, exercise general caution, you know, be aware of your surroundings. Um, I did have clients in Europe last week and I advised them that they might see uh, protests or demonstrations or that kind of thing. And that's generally something, you know, just don't don't engage in if you see something like that. But yeah, in general, um, still it's still safe to travel just exercise caution and, and be aware of your surroundings right yeah that's a standard for all of, of travel all of the time really in my eyes is always be alert exactly. be cautious be ready be prepared you know and working with a travel advisor is how you be extra prepared for any of our consumer listeners out there that aren't working with travel advisors but yes on this especially and it's you know it's natural for these types of concerns to pop up and people to pose questions and i mean we see it on google trends and stuff too people googling about you know safe travel in the middle east and all that so it's understandable as as war and you know things like this happen and as it 
you know, dominates the mass media and main media uh, news cycle on things, it's just going to be top of mind for a lot of people. And especially as you get to traveling international, then safety always becomes a, a concern. And, and it, rightfully so, it should be. You want to be make sure that you're safe and you're okay in your travels as you go see the world. And, you know, working with a travel advisor, definitely the way to go. And the, the STEP program there, too, is key on that because you want to have alerts and be on the ready and be prepared in case of any type of emergency at all. Exactly. And having the State Department aware that you are in destination if something happens and, you know, you need the, something extreme like an evacuation or something like that, that they're aware that you're in country and destination. So, Yes. Travel smarter. Right. Exactly. So. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So in other overseas travel news, Europe is postponing the launch of its new border entry security system now pushing back to 2025. Here we go again. I don't know. I don't know how many times I'm going to talk about this type this pushback on this border thing, but it's the European Travel Information and Authorization System, and it'll make foreign travelers required to apply to obtain pre-approved um, pre-approval before entering the 30-nation EU bloc. It'll cost Americans just under $8, uh, although that price could change given the date has changed now so much. Who knows? Honestly, 2025 is not um, very close when you think about it. I appreciate the move to 25, I guess, because like I said, I've been mentioning on this podcast and we posted the news every time it's come up about the multiple pushbacks on this. Uh, but you got to think it's 2025. It's going to be set by then, just how many times they've already pushed it back. But you never know with any of this. So yeah, Ashley, your thoughts on uh, entry fees and border rules and, and all this news with Europe? Yeah, I agree. I, I have clients constantly, you know, do I need a visa now? And I'm like, oh, it's, it's pushed to 2024. Now I can say it's pushed to 2025. Um, I also kind of welcome this change. If it, if it takes another year for them to get the systems in place and the logistics of it, um, you know, I'd rather them come out with a, a working product than to rush something. So, um, yeah, I think that I, I see programs like this um, as no different than um, travel advisors being aware of visa requirements or passport requirements, entry, exit, that kind of thing. Um, we all kind of became experts on on that back during the pandemic with you know what countries require i just see this as an additional uh you know thing for us to be aware of and to advise our clients of and it shows value to our clients when we are aware of you know these these things and we can advise on it so just something to you know keep a keep awareness of and be able to advise our clients in 2025 or beyond <laughs> right yeah beyond being the key word there yeah, who knows, who knows? Might be <laughs> big, big asterisk next to 2025 but <laughs> right yeah but it, it is good that they're not trying to rush this especially with it being yes. an electronic type of stuff in this you, you got to make sure that your, your tech is right you got to make sure that you're on your system's going to be smooth everything is set for it so yeah take your time exactly and, and, that it can that it can handle the volume of applicants you know that kind of thing of course yeah, because there's certainly going to be a lot. Europe travel, I don't see it any slowing down anytime soon. I'm, I'm sure it's been quite busy for you as of late yes. with you specializing in European travel. Yes. And we jump over to destination news now and go away from Europe and over to Asia with Japan announcing measures to combat overtourism. So they had said a couple weeks ago that they were putting plans in place and we're going to announce and do something. So now they've got a, a plan and they're moving forward with it and they announced that they're going to be doing this and it's ranging from strengthening transportation systems in large cities and getting uh, more direct bus routes and, and process and things going there um, in large cities like Tokyo and encouraging a greater spread of tourism to lesser known destinations in Japan. So Ashley, your, your thoughts on over tourism here for Japan and in general as well and how countries handle crowds 
post-pandemic here. Yeah, that's definitely something we're seeing. So um, excluding the years of the pandemic, I have gone to Italy um, pretty much every year of my adult life and went back this summer. The crowds were to a level that I, I just could not believe, places that you, you know, you literally could not walk down the street because of the crowd. So it's definitely something as we come back from the pandemic, you know, people are traveling, people are really wanting to go to these destinations. Um, I'm always encouraging my clients to kind of get into the city, do what you want to do in the city, and then take some day trips, get out of the city. So very similar to what Japan is doing um, with their kind of introducing bus routes and that kind of thing to encourage people to visit some lesser known places, um, you know, get out of the cities a little bit. Um, I've Something I've also noticed in Europe, um, for example, uh, is places that used to be free charging a small admission fee. Um, so I'd be curious to see if Japan, um, if other destinations start to do that. Um, in Italy, the Pantheon has always historically been free, but this summer, because of the crowds, they they um, started a $5, uh, five euro fee to enter, hoping that that kind of controls the crowds a little bit. So I'll be curious to see what other countries um, kind of start charging a small fee to encourage or I guess discourage um you know massive amounts of travelers um so we'd be curious to see how that happens that's a very good point yeah destinations certainly jump on that train I won't be surprised if more and more do it I mean money rules everything around here and the the fact that yeah I mean that you're going to discourage some people a few it's hard to say how many because a lot of people travel so far away and they want to experience you know the the very big uh, touristy draw thing of whatever destination you're in. So naturally that more people are going to go to that. And, you know, if you can put, get some dollars for that and put that into good use to help with over tourism or to help with exactly. eco measures. Then- yeah. I think, I think another thing we'll see is a lot of, um, we saw it a lot during the pandemic, but like timed entry tickets, um, I think will be another thing that is just kind of here to stay people. Um, you know, you have a set time, you know, you have a two hour limit to see a site versus being able to stay all day just to kind of control the, the crowds and, and the demand for certain places i think that'll be something that just stays around now <laughs> yeah absolutely it should and it, it makes it more seamless it makes it better so i'm um, for that and yeah i won't be surprised if you start seeing you know a lot of places even places that are already charged uh, just raising their rates even more mm-hmm. on that and, and hoping it deters away some people but again you know that's what draws people into your country it's going to be difficult to deter people away from some of these big attractions and touristy things but it might help a little bit but as long as those okay, dollars, and- as long as those dollars are going put being put to good use then I'm, I'm fine with it Exactly. And I think we have value also as, as travel advisors, you know, to be aware of, uh, you know, if Monday is, for example, a free day at a museum, advise our clients, you probably don't want to go on a Monday. Um, you know, that's just a way that we can show value to our clients by being aware of busier days and how places are handling crowds and, and that kind of thing and give them the best experience once they're there. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. And as we close up what's been trending in the world of travel on the last week, we're going to jump to one other thing and we can't get to everything. So make sure you follow and subscribe to travelpulse.com and our newsletter there. But as we wrap up here in the last one. New research is revealing that Americans covet experience over physical gifts this holiday season, and that is a trend that has been on the rise. This uh, data coming from Get Your Guide, and the vast majority of Americans preferring gifted experiences over physical presence, and I'm all for that, Ashley. I mean, trips in place of physical gifts, that's the way it should be. Is it, are you seeing that trend, too, as we approach 
the holiday season here? That's absolutely a trend I'm seeing. Um, I know for the last couple of years, honeymoon registries have been very, very popular. Um, Couples generally live together before marriage now. They definitely would prefer to get an experience, something that they can make a memory with versus a blender or something. (laughs) Um, So that's definitely something that I'm seeing. Um, I think the pandemic taught us that we really value time together and experiences and memories um, over something physical. So absolutely seeing that extend to the world of travel. Right. And that should just be the wedding gift that is a majority of your wedding like whoever you invite your wedding just give me some money so i can spend it how i want to which you know i would say should be towards a trip for most people you know some people out there might want to do other things and i mean yeah it's fun to register with with a little toy gun thing or whatever and you walk around the store and and click your prices on (laughs) things and yeah a lot of people have fun with that and stuff too but yeah put it put it towards a trip and experience you're gonna it's gonna be so much more memorable than your, like your, the toaster or um, your the KitchenAid mixer that you might use yeah, three times on the year or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that wraps up what has been trending in travel. Any additional thoughts, you can drop me an email, podcast at travelpulse.com. Now we're going to jump over to our theme of the week, and that's on dark tourism and spooky seasons. Today's episode is brought to you by Palladium Hotel Group. Grand Palladium Cantona Resort and Spa is an enchanting destination nestled along the shores of Mexico's Riviera Maya. Guests at the Grand Palladium Cantona are treated to a wide array of amenities and activities. The resort's reopening is scheduled for December 2023 and will debut family selection in the Riviera Maya. These unique spaces were designed with traveling families in mind, where guests can enjoy special amenities and personalized attention, ideal for those seeking a premium experience with activities for adults and children. So Ashley, we jump right in. You, you've, um, you and I talked about this on Future Leaders a couple years ago about different um, unique sides of, of tourism and, and, and touched into the dark stuff. So the, let's just dive in, I guess, to the first thing uh, for anyone listening that might not really be aware of like dark tourism and what it really is. So enlighten us. Yeah. So, so dark tourism is a subset of tourism. Um, historically, kind of things related to death, to disease, to tragedy. Um, and it's it's not something new. This was very popular um, even as far back as the 17 and 1800s to visit the sites of battlefields, um, the sites of, you know, torture, things like that. Um, and it's, it's just kind of indulges the fascination that I think humans have with the creepy and the weird and the unusual. And it covers a lot of different things. You have everything from um, visiting um, sites of serial killers. Um, That's kind of a a subset um, all the way up to an interesting um, part of dark tourism that is nuclear travel, um, atomic travel. So that's visiting the sites of things like uh, the Manhattan Project, the Trinity Test Site, all the way up to disaster, you know, nuclear disasters, Chernobyl, Fukushima. Um, It's basically any kind of weird off the beat travel um, that has to do with death and creepy and and that kind of thing. Right. I don't know why the Adams Family theme song just popped in my head <laughs> randomly. It was, I guess, it was like the last two lines you said there, and then I was like, "Oh, well, I should, I should not start singing the Adams Family song. I'll spare the audience on this." But yes, it's it's really a, a trend that is is becoming more and more popular, right? I mean, it's a pretty big uh, uh, scene on this and worth billions of dollars. Definitely. Um, so in 2018, Netflix, um, there was a journalist, uh, David Ferrier, who did a very popular series um, called Dark Tourist on Netflix. Um, and that kind of, I think, brought it to the forefront. You started having podcasts and things about dark tourism. Um, his podcast focused on, I think, the, or I'm sorry, his uh, series focused on the very extreme side. Um, he was doing things like death cults and um, ghost cities and narco tourism down in Mexico, um, the kind of very extreme end that I think is 
travel advisors we would not really touch, um, but it certainly brought it into kind of the cultural forefront and got people talking about, you know, oh, you, you can travel to these kind of more interesting places, these darker places um, that might have like a, a horrible history and make that part of your trip. <laughs> it's very interesting to me how popularized this has become. And you see it too with a lot of your true crime aspects of things. And I have no, I mean, you can't, you can't go like five yard, five feet without finding someone <laughs> that is obsessed with some sort of uh, the crime stuff or the true exactly, you know, the podcast yeah. with, or with Netflix. The rise or, in popularity of, of like true crime, true crime podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people always had a fascination, I think with serial killers, but in the last few years, that's, that's definitely become a thing. And as morbid as it is, um, you know, there is the possibility to visit places associated with serial killers. Um, you know, the, in California, you have the, the Manson family, that sort of thing. Um, so it's definitely something you could have a, a client come and express interest with. Absolutely. Especially these young kids, too. Um, that seems to be kind of the target there, <laughs> the, the youths, if you will. So even, you yeah. know, the, the teens into the uh, young uh, 20s and into even to young 30s, too. And I, I think that seems to be sort of, the, is that what you get from your clients you send on um, as far but as the primarily interest? Primarily, the, the people that are expressing that, yeah, they're, they're people that um, don't want a cookie-cutter vacation. They want something They want something unique. They want to go to a place that, you know, is off the beaten path that not all of their friends are going to. Um, and if they have kind of a, a creepy interest, you know, it's definitely something they want to be able to go to and, and post about and be able to, you know, take back and tell their friends, yeah, I went to the site of this gruesome murder or I went to this, uh, you know, crypt in, in the catacombs in Paris, that kind of thing, and, and saw skeletons and lamps made out of skeletons and, um, you know, the, you know, cheery dinner party conversation like that. It, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, looking at uh, future market insights and some of their data and points in, uh, on this, uh, they had that the estimated reach in 2022 was $30 billion for the dark tourism market and forecasting that um, it's going to be worth $44.5 billion by the end of 2031. So it's definitely a market that has continued to grow and, and yeah, I think naturally you're going to see heightened uh, discussions and um, bookings and actual trips going around, you know, in October, this type of se- this type of year for spooky season. But it's pretty year round, would you say? Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously around Halloween, you have an interest. You have places like Salem, Massachusetts, you know, with the witch trials, they uh, go all out at Halloween. That's an incredibly popular place to go to Halloween. Um, Romania, Transylvania, Dracula, that sort of thing that gets a boost um, in, in around Christmas. I'm sorry, around Halloween. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all year round. I don't think it's just, uh, you know, just regulated to October. And so when we, you mentioned a few there, but when we talk about like the spookiest or creepiest or scariest what really jumps out both, I guess, here in the U.S. will start there and then internationally. So in the U.S., first that comes to mind is, of course, New Orleans. Um, when you have a city that is that old and has that much history and horrible things, war and plagues and um, all that, and, and then you add the history of voodoo and that kind of thing, um, New Orleans is always ranked as the spookiest place, the most haunted place in the U.S. Um, and if that is something your clients are interested in, you can easily do an entire um, itinerary just based around you know haunted places, ghosts, voodoo, vampires, um, that kind of thing. New Orleans by far. Um, I was there last year. I did a tour of the Ursuline Convent, uh, which is the oldest building in New Orleans that's still standing. Um, has a fascinating history. It was used for uh, plague victims, yellow fever victims, um, has vampire legends. It's supposedly the most haunted place in a very haunted city. So um, definitely things like that worth visiting. 
Um, internationally, any of your kind of old world uh, European cities, Rome, Paris, those of course come to mind. Any city with a lot of history, a lot of um, you know dark uh, things happening, you know crime families, that sort of thing, um, of course gets a reputation for for being haunted. Um, you also have in Europe uh, places I mentioned earlier, um, you know the catacombs in Paris, your your crypts and things in Rome. Uh, clients that might have an interest in this would would certainly appreciate um, kind of having that suggested on an itinerary. Um, I also briefly touched on um, nuclear tourism and atomic tourism uh, being kind of a, a subset under the umbrella of dark tourism. So your places for that are um, uh, in the Southwest, uh, your Trinity test site, White Sands, that sort of thing. And um, and then your nuclear disaster sites. Um, so Chernobyl is possible to be visited. Um, you can visit the exclusionary zone of Chernobyl, um, which has gotten quite popular. Um, also in Japan, you have um, sites related to the Fukushima disaster, um, with where if a client had a particular interest in nuclear tourism, that could be something they wanted to explore. Interesting. Yeah, a little heightened aspect on the nuclear side with the popularity of the Oppenheimer movie earlier this summer. Exactly, um, exactly. I would. Um, so in the in the 1960s, um, atomic tourism was very, very popular. Um, and I can definitely see with um, Oppenheimer being the hit that it was this summer, uh, starting to see a little bit more interest um, with that, especially if you have clients that are perhaps doing a family trip, you know, they're doing something with the national parks, going out to the Grand Canyon, um, visiting those sorts of sites are it's it's quite easy to add that into an existing itinerary. So I would see um, some more demand for that kind of nuclear tourism starting to come back. Interesting. Yeah, a little educational there for the whole fam. Yeah. Um, not so sure on the the spooky, creepy side, if you want to take the whole fam to, to some of the places that you might have mentioned there. <laughs> yeah, might be maybe, a little, yeah. <laughs> a little dicey on that. I mean, it, you know, some of that stuff, like I would do, I would be scared and I would be like on edge and anxiety through the roof and stuff. But <laughs> You won't find me like just actively being like, you know what? I'll, I'll watch a horror movie tonight for my, my movie night. Like I wouldn't do that, but with the experiences and the travel, like I would on that side. I'd, I'd rather be scared that way than sitting in my own couch. And which you know might be a flip for some people out there. They'd rather watch a horror movie than you know take steps uh, in catacombs and, and different things like that. I would be terrified, but yeah, I think, it'd be I think cool I'm the to same do with it, you. Right? I'm I'm honestly not a huge horror fan, but you tell me you know you can go down in this this creepy catacomb and the history of it. Like I'm I'm all for that, but I, I don't want to watch a horror movie about it. Right? Yeah, I wouldn't do that at night. I would only do that in the day. I think I would only <laughs> do like scary stuff while the sun is still up. Yeah. Because there I, are tours. Um, in places I've seen um, in New Orleans, for example, you have a, a plethora of, of ghost tours and haunted right. tours, but there are ones that um, operate just by candlelight. So you're walking in these um, creepy places with just a little candle in front of you. And um, I always imagine that would be just, I don't spooky. know, like what if the candle goes out? <laughs> that would be spooky, Ashley. Yes, that would yeah. be very spooky. <laughs> any uh, any fun or unique stories from where you sent clients on or that clients have come back and been blown away by different things that have they've talked to you about? Um, so... Uh, the first one that comes to mind when you ask that is, um, I'm sure that I will butcher the name of it, but I had clients this summer that went on a, um, a Mediterranean cruise uh, itinerary. They had done this several times. They were going to dock in the south of France, and they didn't want to just do another wine tasting or another sightseeing. And I've worked with these clients a few times. I kind of know where their interests lie. So um, I pitched to them the idea of visiting, um, again, sorry if I butcher the name, I don't speak French, um, Ch Chateau de la Coste, um, which is the castle that was owned by the Marquis de Sade, and we get the 
term sadism um, from him and the some of the horrible, horrible things that he did in this castle. Um, and it is uh, open during the summer months now as a tourist attraction. Um, so I pitched this to the clients. We organized um, a private driver and got them up to see the castle for the day. Um, they came back and loved it. It's uh, Weirdly enough, it is used mostly these days as an open-air sculpture garden, um, but you are free to kind of walk around the castle and think about those the horrible things that those walls <laughs> you know, could have seen back in the 1700s. Um, but but the clients love that. Uh, they had never heard of being able to visit a place like that, um, to be able to go there, the history of it, and, you know, certainly something off, offbeat and unique that, that the clients enjoyed. Oh, that's, yeah, that's really cool. And just the value, again, of an advisor being able to come through in the clutch there was something unique and something different because a lot of people do like to travel to the same exact places over and over but you want to see different exactly. things and as, as, as beautiful as you know the south of france is there's only so many wine tastings you can right. do year after year before you you know you start to look for something unique so exactly so as we just wrap up here, any uh, closing advice you'd want to pass on to fellow travel advisors? Yeah, so two things. Um, one, these kinds of travel, this kind of travel, these kinds of tours are not your cookie cutter things. You're going to need a really good relationship with your DMCs, with your in-destination suppliers to kind of put these things together. Um, a lot of these places, um, we've talked about Chernobyl um, in New Orleans, the famous St. Louis Cemetery. These are places that can only be visited with um, guides, with very organized tours. So you need to have a good relationship with your suppliers to be able to do that for your clients. Um, and the other thing, just in general, um, just not to shy away from this. Um, this kind of, I think everybody, uh, humans, we just have an innate fascination for, you know, the weird and the creepy and the morbid. And um, there's, you know, there's nothing to, to be ashamed of or to, you know, think, oh, like my client's very weird for asking for this. Um, you know, it's just a, a natural thing. And um, it's something that we as travel advisors, if we can go into it, uh, not being judgmental and, you know, with an open mind, then we're just showing our clients uh, how their, you know, their trip can just be even more enhanced. Great advice, great insights there. And totally agree. Yeah, I think if you uh, look at human history, I mean, it's it's dark, you know, it's you can't shy away from that. The human history is is not great in a lot of areas. So if you took a poll on your Facebook pages out there, advisors, you might find even just about like the true crime aspect of things, you're probably going to find a lot of people coming back on there and say, yeah, I love such and such documentary or, you know, this show on Netflix or this podcast is great. And, you know, use that to help capitalize and maybe uh, get a trip out of it and some some aspect on that. Exactly. And even if you have a client who, you know, may not want an entire trip based around it, if you know that they're, you know, they're somewhere, for example, they're taking a cruise out of New Orleans, they're going to be there a night before the cruise. You know, you could add this on as something valuable if you if you know that the client has that kind of interest. Definitely so. Well, appreciate it, Ashley. Where can people uh, get in touch with you, reach out, follow you on the socials, anything you want to plug here as we close out? Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, I am on uh, Instagram as underscore flyway travel, F-L-Y-W-A-Y. Um, also uh, flywaytravel.com. And um, yeah, just happy to help out and give advice wherever. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining on the podcast, Ashley. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this week. I will not have a show next week as I'll be off traveling and preparing for Cruise World and the Travis. So be sure to tune back in in November. Thanks again for listening. Have a great week. <laughs>